Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt, I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight, and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you, I will say, to the north. Give them up, and to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have, who, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caitlin, for reading our scripture this morning. Good morning. Hallelujah, right? <laughs> Uh, my name's Emily. I'm part of the pastoral team here, and we are in week three of a sermon series called Recalibrate. It's a great time at the beginning of a new school year to take stock of the wheels and gears in our lives and to make sure everything's kind of moving in this healthy direction as children of God. And so we are revisiting some of those principles and priorities that Scripture lifts up as most important. Now, the first week of the series, we looked at a passage from Deuteronomy 6 called the Shema. And that's a verse that Jesus says is the greatest commandment by the time you get to the Gospels. And that says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second week, we looked at a passage from Micah chapter 6, which talks about putting that life of love into action. And what does that tell us to do? It tells us to do justice, love mercy and kindness, and walk humbly with God. And now this third week, we look at who we are called to be as we put that life into action with the passage that Caitlin read for us from Isaiah 43. What is our identity as children of God? Would you pray with me? God of grace and God of mercy, help us to step into your word today. We pray that you would open it up for us and guide us as we step into it and hear your voice telling us who we are. Lord, we love you and we pray that the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For you are our rock and our refuge, our redeemer and our savior. And it is in your name that we pray. As all God's people say, amen. I have a question for you this morning that I want you to answer just right out loud. And if you're joining us online, I want you to invite you to put the answer, just type it right into the chat. So here's the question. What kind of identification do you usually carry on you? I heard driver's license. I heard military ID. Yeah, I heard a lot of different things. Some of them I didn't hear very well, so I'm just going to say thank you 
for your participation. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, and what do these forms of identification usually say about us? There's usually a name and maybe the branch of service in which we serve, our height, usually if it's a driver's license, our eye color. Um, they might give our address. But what does this really say about who you are? If someone came up to you and you were asked to describe yourself, what would you tell them? Your name? Would you tell them uh, whether or not you're married? Would you tell them where you go to school? Would you? What would you say? Would you give them your Myers-Briggs personality type? Would you tell them what pops up on those Clifton Strength Finders or your number on the Enneagram? Would you tell them where you grew up or if you got kids? What would you say? What did you say? A child, of the king. a child of the king. I love it. Yeah. If somebody asks us who we are, how do we describe our identity? When I was growing up, my dad uh, is famous for using these phrases. You'll hear them from time to time in sermons. And there's one that he would say to me and my sister every day before we left the house. He still says it sometimes when I call him. And that was this. Know who, what, and why you are. It's good, right? Know who, what, and why you are. Now, when I was younger, I thought that meant don't do anything to embarrass the family. Because we have a good reputation and your mom is in the paper every week writing a column. And so people know the family. So don't do anything to mess that up. But as I got older, I realized that my dad was telling me a lot more. And know your core identity, who you are. If you know who you are, it really makes a difference in this world. And what he was saying was, know that you are a child of mine. Know that you are a child of God, a child of the King. And that never changes my daughters know who, what, and why you are. What is that core identity? We've got a slide here to tell you and show you with words that come straight from Isaiah 43. Are any of these eight words on your identification you carry around with you? Let's read them out loud. Created, formed, redeemed, called, companioned, precious, honored, loved. I checked my driver's license and my passport this past week, and none of them had any of these words written on them. And yet in Scripture, they jump off the page again and again. In Isaiah 43, this is who God says we are. Take out your cameras, your phones, and take a picture of this. Write the words down. Commit them to memory. This is the core of your identity. This is who, what, and why you are. How do these words fit in your soul? How do they compare to how you see yourself? How you see others? How do they compare to the words that others would say about you or even use against you? These eight words in God's eyes do not change no matter what anyone else has to say about you. If you are a child of God, this is who you were yesterday. 
And a long time ago, if you are a child of God, this is who you are today. If you are a child of God, this is who you will be tomorrow. And all of that has been true for a very, very long time. Because these words taken straight from Isaiah 43 were written some 2,500 years ago. Long before you were born, this was true about you. Let's unpack that passage from Isaiah a little bit more. Isaiah is a long book. It has 66 chapters in it, and scholars usually divide it into three distinct sections from three distinct time periods. Section 1 comprises chapters 1 through 39. These come from about the latter half of the 8th century BCE. In them, Isaiah is the prophet. He's warning about destruction that is to come, this coming threat of the Assyrian Empire. The people are rebellious toward God, and Isaiah, as a prophet, calls them out on it. Who was Isaiah? He was a prophet. He was married. He had at least two sons, and he served about the same time that Micah did, the prophet we studied last week. Isaiah served through four different kings as something of a counselor to them. And again, in this section, he warns that destruction is coming, and indeed it does. In the second section, the middle section of Isaiah, that comprises chapters 40 through 55. These are from the end of the 6th century, between, say, 545 and 539 BCE. That's the section that 43 is in. What Isaiah had prophesied had been fulfilled. Their temple was destroyed, the nation fell, and the people were taken to Babylon. The land of those who conquered them. This is what we call the time of the Babylonian exile. And the third section of Isaiah is the rest of it. Chapters 56 through 66. And this is usually associated with the 5th century BCE in Judah. It's after the exile has ended. The people have been allowed to return home and they've started to rebuild and it's hard work. And there's this thread that runs all through the book of Isaiah, and that thread is hope. Hope only that comes from God. Chapter 43, what uh, Caitlin read for us today, sits squarely in that time of the exile, and it is a difficult time. They need hope. Hope that this is not the end. Hope that God will do a new thing while they're in that time of exile. Those for whom this was originally written had been forcibly conquered, forced to leave their homeland, forced to abandon their practices, their language, their culture, their customs. Some were forced to change their names. Their temple where they had worshipped had been destroyed. Their once familiar world was gone. And they had to create some new sense of normal, whatever that is, after everything in their lives had changed. Maybe you know something of what that's like. It is into this period of profound and prolonged loss and disorientation that the prophet speaks in Isaiah 43. To what would we compare that depth of loss and pain? I don't know. Being a refugee, perhaps? 
being airdropped or deployed without family or communication in a foreign land without the ability to return home. They lost everything external that had propped up their identity and their known world. What's that like? I tried to think of something that might be similar in our own lives, like financial ruin or the loss of a job, divorce, dementia, a life-limiting diagnosis, a tragic accident, deep failure of some kind, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a dream, the loss of abilities or a home, or maybe some combination of that at the same time. Whatever it is, it's a season of being overwhelmed and it's being disoriented, feeling broken or condemned or worthless or ashamed. It's a vulnerable time that captures that sense of profound and prolonged loss and uncertainty. And that's where we're sitting in Isaiah 43. And into that season when people are trying to create normal, whatever that is, when all that was normal is gone, it's hard. I mean, incredibly hard. Times like that can do some serious damage to our understanding of who, what, and why we are. So who are we when the props of our world or what was normal aren't there anymore? What is our identity then? Ask Isaiah 43, which speaks certainty right into the midst of all that is our uncertainty with these eight words that do not change. As it was told to those 2,500 years ago, I'm going to read it again. And if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up to Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, companion you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight. And honored, and I love you. Wow. Thank you, God, for that. This is what is certain in all that is uncertain. One of my family friends many years ago told me these are her favorite verses in all of Scripture. She was going through liver cancer at the time. And she lost so much, but she didn't lose this, her identity. And she would tell me, Emily, it's like verses 1 and 2. I know God knows my name. God knows me. 
And whatever I go through, rough water, high rivers, chemo, radiation, even death, God is with me and therefore I have nothing to fear. For this is who I am. Created, formed, redeemed, called, companioned, precious, honored, and loved. It is easy to forget that, isn't it? That this is how God sees you. And no matter what you have done or you do, you cannot change that or stop God's love for you. And it is hard to wrap our heads around that. At least it's hard for me to. Because from the time we're born, we're put into an identity crucible in some family of origin, right? And we are graded, tested, measured, auditioned, weighed, you name it. We have to make the cut, win the audition, pass the test, get the grade, to go to the next level, get the promotion, get the honor, be accepted. And so we learn and teach our children how to navigate this competitive nature of world and life and business. And it's exhausting. But before the world tries to define us, God has already said this is who we are. We lose sight of the markers as we grow up. People will put eight other labels on you, right? Labels like goody two-shoes or good-for-nothing or stupid or lazy or jock or dumb or weirdo, dork, loser, nerd, and things I wouldn't want to repeat. If we hear those other labels long enough, we start to believe them. And it makes it even harder to accept who God has already said that we are. So let me tell you, forget those other labels. Commit these eight to memory. These eight cancel any of those others out. Let God's voice be the loudest when you want to know who you are. Let God answer that question. Because this is the identity printed on your heart at your baptism, like a tattoo that can never be removed. This is the part of your identity that does not change. And I know there are people out there who want us to talk about sin every Sunday. And they'll start getting concerned about these eight words about now. And so let me say this. Do we still have room to grow? Absolutely. Do we still know that we are sinners in need of God's forgiveness? Absolutely. Do we need to repent again and again and return to God? Absolutely. And with all that being true, does that change any of this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And boy, is that hard to accept if we started to lean into those other labels the world has put on us. And I know somebody else will say, but we have to have standards, Pastor Emily. A checklist before God will accept us or anyone else. Well, no, frankly, that's not biblical. Grace is God's baseline. Grace is, this is God's baseline for you. 
And Jesus will die for every one of you. In fact, he already did. Is it harder to accept these words about ourselves? Or is it harder to accept them about others? If it's the latter, it's usually because we like to judge others and put labels on them ourselves and hope that God will follow suit and do whatever we like in that regard. God instead says it's not about measuring up. It's about love beyond measure. It's not about whether we meet the standard. This is the standard. Grace is the standard. And that's hard, right? Because it's hard to accept other people. Standing in the grocery line, right? There's somebody in front of you who wants a price check on three different items and it takes two cashiers to get there and you're already 17 minutes late for supper. And you're thinking, God loves these people. Or like going down 95 this week, I'm driving and there's this car that pulls up from behind me, goes over here. It's not even a lane and they're zipping down beside me and cut right in front of me. I have to slam on brakes so that I don't hit them. And I'm thinking, God loves these people. I don't know why, but I'm sure God does. (laughs) Or maybe it's someone like... A friend of mine said there's a person she knows who goes around telling other people how to parent their children. Well, they don't even know those other children. And what gives her the right to think she can do that? Or maybe you're like a Dallas Cowboys fan coming up to a Commanders fan or a Steelers fan coming up to a Browns fan to tell them that they're rooting for the wrong team. God loves those people. I don't know why, (laughs) but I know that this is how God sees them too. So Lord, help us to wrap our heads around that kind of grace. Every Christian has a lot of work to do in this area, right? Every church has a lot of work to do in this area. And it is hard It's like that old story about a man who said he felt like he had two wolves inside of him fighting for his heart. And one wolf, he said, is defensive and judgmental and gets angry. And the other wolf is compassionate and empathetic and graceful. And he went to the elders and he said, which wolf is going to win my heart? And the elder said, it depends on the one that you feed. If we have put on the grace and spirit of Jesus Christ, we feed the latter every time. We feed the grace. God's grace is so deep we cannot fathom it, control it. It's grace from the moment we step on the planet. And it has nothing to do with making the cut or earning the grade or meeting a set of criteria. This is God's baseline for us. God knows you better than you know yourself and knows your name and flat out loves you. And there's nothing you can do about that. 
if we humbly and deep down accept this about ourselves, it makes a difference. If we humbly and deep down accept this about others, even those we dislike or who run us off a 95 or those we want to write off, it makes a difference. And if we're not there yet, able to accept this, let us ask God to recalibrate us, to recalibrate our hearts, how we see ourselves and how we see others, because this is who, what, and why you are. Maybe we need to make some new identification cards, carry around in our wallets, that have these eight words on them and give them to our children and pass them around in the community. This is our identity. Would you say it with me? I am, say that, I am created, formed, redeemed, called, companioned, precious, honored, loved. This, brothers and sisters, is your identity. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.